You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. And today, of course, we know the the story to date of 21 or 2 million ounces of gold, 20 plus billion pounds of copper, some silver, some molly as well. This is Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. Thank you for tuning in. Today's show is brought to you by Orin Resources. Orin is in the process of acquiring East Main Resources and forming a new company, Fury Gold Mines. In the process, they are going to spin out two companies. The Sombrero Peruvian companies will be one new Spinco, and then there will be Tier 1 Metals, which will take the Curry Baya Silver and Gold properties. Both Tier 1 Metals and Sombrero Resources are in Peru and those companies will become future trading a little bit down the line and to learn more go to orinresources.com and if you're an Orin shareholder like myself make sure you vote as you have uh, voting rights for this proposed merger website again is orinresources.com and the ticker symbol is AUG well my guest today is market commentator and resource investor himself Chris Temple of nationalinvestor.com Chris, welcome back onto the show. Thanks for taking time out of your day. And I'd like to start by posing to you a question that I've gotten from some listeners. And it deals with whether we're going to see a sell-off in the general equities in the fall. How will the gold stocks react? And the actionable question was, Bill, if this happens and they sell off, shouldn't I just take some profits now and just buy the stocks I like cheaper in a few months after the crash? Uh, How would you advise this person if you were talking to him, Chris? First of all, thanks for having me back and good afternoon to you and to our listeners. Um, I'm going to take those in two separate segments, the general stock market and then gold slash uh, mining stocks. As far as the general stock market, I believe that that 10% drop that we had in the NASDAQ in just a few days time, uh, a week or so ago, is a potential shot across the bow. The unfortunate thing that I see in the markets right now is that Fed Chairman Jerome Powell has been doing in spades what he promised he would not do when he took that job as Fed Chairman in early 2018. Back then, he correctly pointed out that the last two major economic debacles uh, had been preceded by financial debacles, both of them to be blamed on the Fed for having let markets run too hot, letting credit creation get too excessive, et cetera. He told us he wasn't going to do that, but he's been doing that. Now, they've got the pandemic as the excuse. Uh, They've got to do all of these different things to save us from the ravages of the coronavirus or COVID-19 or the Wuhan virus, whatever you choose to call it out there. And this has been the excuse for the Fed to do all kinds of unprecedented things that make its actions after 2008 look uh, conservative in nature. So what has that gotten us? It has not gotten us much of a rebound in the Main Street economy because it can't. So all it has done is to juice the financial markets again, keep all kinds of zombie companies alive, et cetera. And what it's done, Bill, is it's led to really excessive speculation uh, after the fact when we saw the NASDAQ hit that air pocket and like Wiley Coyote going off the cliff, there was nothing but air under them. Uh, afterwards, people were pointing at entities like SoftBank, 
and their actions in the option equity markets and so forth that had really stretched things too far to the upside. The quandary that the Fed has is they're damned if they do and damned if they don't, because if they would let nature take its course and not be putting their thumbs so heavily on the scale, we would see a prolonged bear market in just about everything. They don't want that. The policymakers everywhere don't want that. Uh, but for all of this money that they're printing anew, that ostensibly is supposed to help the Main Street economy, it can't because there's not the transmission mechanism there. You've got people that have lost their jobs. You've got people who have lost their businesses. Traffic flows have crashed uh, and all the rest that we all know about to one extent or another. And unless and until the fiscal authorities in Congress and at the White House decide that they're going to come up with some ways in which a meaningful part of all this new credit creation is channeled into good, sustainable Main Street economic activity like infrastructure spending, for example. We've discussed this before. Uh, until that happens, the only thing that the Fed is getting for all this money printing is ever frothy and potentially destabilizing markets. So I don't have a crystal ball to tell me uh, when this is going to bust in a much more meaningful way. When is the music going to stop and we're all scrambling for chairs? But it's going to come. You know, we don't know what the catalyst will be, but it will come because the Fed has just made things way too top heavy. And whether you look at the, the, the that sharp correction that has now been interrupted in stocks, whether you look at even gold uh, several weeks ago and it dropped almost 200 bucks out of nowhere, uh, everything right now is leveraged. So if you're a resource investor with, with that outlook, would you even worry about the general equities if there if there's going to be a crash if there's not or would you only look at the fundamentals of a specific company if you're going to in, invest in a new mining stock well that's a, that that in itself bill is a two-part answer as we move to the first <laughs> the, the, the second part that i mentioned a minute ago and, and focus on the resources look the long-term picture and i'm going to focus on gold for the moment is extremely bullish uh, I answer a question about the current issue, the national investor from a, a subscriber wanting to know why I'm not advocating taking profits on individual gold stocks. And my answer is, first of all, unlike back in early 2011, when I correctly told people to start you know, heading for the exits, believing that the fundamental picture that had caused gold to triple from the end of 2008 through 2011, that that was changing and that generalist investors were gonna leave. So if they're gonna leave, we better leave. That was my view back then. Going forward right now, I'm still very, very bullish long-term on gold. There is no scenario I see ahead of us that's gonna change that necessarily. I wouldn't say that about every other of the precious metals, but I'd say it about gold. Um, my attitude has been with gold that when I find individual companies whose fundamentals I like and who I think have got a better story than their peers or that will the stories and companies I think will do better than a sector generally, I'm in them for the duration. I'm not telling anybody to sell anything with only a couple exceptions recently of stocks that we traded back into. They popped, they got to a target. I don't see any new news coming. So fine, we sold a, a couple or three individual gold equities, but by and large, I've been advocating using the ETFs as trading vehicles. Um, told people, thankfully, to sell those right before the market um, uh, 
fell over there in, in early August. So we made some money on those trades. That's how I'll trade things. And all I would say is that sensing the possibility of a sharper correction for stocks, which would take everything with it, including gold, including silver, including gold stocks for a while, I'm not going to try and time something like that with my favorite individual gold stocks. I will time it and have been doing so with the ETFs. And if I see the worst case scenario that I have on the table right now for gold, that in a big drop for the stock market bill, which would cause a big rebound in the dollar, which would in turn cause some more uh, of gold's gains to evaporate for this year. If we get to my worst case scenario of 1775 an ounce for gold, I'd tell people probably to be getting right back into the ETFs, maybe into a few more tradable uh, names among individual companies. But aside from that, uh, and, and notwithstanding the possibility that we do get a correction in, in gold stocks generally, I'm not advocating doing anything but sitting with uh, my favorite stories. And if things got real bad, I tell people buy more. One of your favorite stories is Cornerstone Capital Resources. Could you share with my audience a little bit about this company and why you like it? And you sent out an alert to your subscribers saying that potentially there could be a big payoff that is both obvious and imminent. What do you mean? Well, look, Cornerstone is a company that if anybody ever hears this trivia question was is an answer to a trivia question. The question being, what was the very first stock listed on a Toronto Venture Exchange when it was created in the late 1990s? The answer to that question is Cornerstone. Um, back in those days, when I first met uh, the founder and former chairman of the company, Glenn McKay, who's a very good friend to these to this day um, at the old San Francisco Gold Show, Cornerstone was a prospect generator that was focused chiefly on Eastern Canada, you know, Newfoundland, Labrador. They had some base metal projects, some precious metal projects, not a whole lot outside of that. You know, they would every now and then they would find a JV partner, turn over a project, make, make some money and, you know, rinse and repeat. But in the middle aughts, the middle part of uh, the previous, you know, the, the, I think it was around 2005 or six, something like that. They decided pretty much to go all in on Ecuador. And uh, as I told people back then that in doing so, Cornerstone just became a riskier exploration company, but now has much higher potential reward. And the reward has already been enjoyed to some extent by people who bottom fished in Cornerstone along the way because in 2016, the company and its now larger and uh, uh, development partner operator, Solgold, an Australian company, um, Cornerstone discovered the, what was called the Cascabel deposit several years previous. When the mining moratorium in Ecuador ended, the beginning of 2011, Cornerstone had a first on this score as well. They, they got Cascabel back before anybody else got concessions re-released to them after former President Correa had to clean up a bunch of graft and, and a lot of loose play in, in the government that he inherited when it came to granting mining concessions. He did a very, very good thing for that country in this regard, in my opinion. So Cornerstone got back Cascabel, finished the green field exploration, hit some drill holes that were just 
out of this world as far as the kind of copper gold porphyry that they have at Cascabel. And today, of course, we know the, the story to date of 21 or 2 million ounces of gold, 20 plus billion pounds of copper, some silver, some molly as well. With the Alpala prospect, it's one of the top prospects for copper gold resources in the world. Uh, in fact, I just did a uh, an article for the upcoming issue of Prospector News, and I and I chose two major copper gold projects as ones that you must be invested in if you believe in the future of either copper or gold. One of them is Cascabel, the other is KSM, of course, in BC, which Zebra uh, Jones. So Cornerstone and Saul Gold have been in a love-hate relationship for a while. It's been more hate, I'm sorry to say, in the recent past. Saul Gold has an unsolicited hostile bid on the table for Cornerstone, which will not be accepted by the shareholders. Two-thirds of the shareholders, all the major ones in Cornerstone, have already turned it down, uh, not for the first time. Um, but there's also some other players involved in this thing. Bill, you've got BHP Billiton and Newcrest each own pretty significant stakes already in Cascabel. Saul Gold just closed, uh, and I mean just like in the last couple of days, just closed on a nine-figure royalty deal with Franco Nevada to get some development stage money for Cascabel. So there's a lot of moving parts here. Uh, in my opinion, Saul Gold and Cornerstone both, even though, and particularly in Cornerstone's case, the share price has been surging of late, even after that, and I'll say the same thing for Saul Gold, both of them are cheap compared to the net present value uh, of what is known already as the resource there, which is only going to grow, I think, as time goes on. So it's, it's one of the premier gold copper projects in the world. It's in a jurisdiction, Ecuador, that is hungry to see its nascent but growing modern first world type mining industry grow. The country's in a depression. It needs this. And it's not going to be very many years before mining becomes its number one industry uh, ahead of oil which uh, Ecuador has always been an exporter of and, and ahead of all the foodstuffs and so forth that the country exports. So you've got a very supportive government. You've got an undervalued asset and uh, it, with a lot of upside. And Cornerstone has got some other exploration projects, too, that uh, are, are tantalizing. And you would see a potential buyout for Cornerstone in the near term, wouldn't you? It's quite possible. There's been a lot of speculation about that for a while. Uh, BHP Billiton and Newcrest Mining uh, each own 13% plus or minus. I don't know the exact number, but that's roughly accurate of Sol Gold. All right. And there's been some discussion over whether they would join forces. One or the other of them would, would seek to um, uh, uh, outdo the other and, and get a bigger chunk of this. Uh, Saul Gold is still raising a lot of money. It did so recently with this uh, royalty deal with Franco Nevada, but there's still a lot of money and a lot of hoops that have to be jumped through on the way to the, the, the uh, development stage. So BHP, by virtue of its most recent, I believe, uh, capital injection, or maybe it was the one before, 
into Sol Gold when it when it bought some Sol Gold stock. They have a standstill agreement uh, where they were prohibited from doing anything to try and in any way gain a bigger toehold in Sol Gold is is uh, one of the consequences of that investment. But that standstill agreement expires next month. Newcrest claims, I think, that its own standstill already has expired. It's just kind of been laying in the wings. Newcrest, notably of late, was publicly very angry with Saul Gold uh, for getting into this royalty deal with Franco Nevada. They didn't want to see Saul Gold raise money in that fashion for a variety of reasons. They actually pulled their board member representative from Saul Gold's board. So Saul Gold has kind of muddied the waters for itself a little bit. Uh, its its head Nick Mather is is uh, you know he's in, in this respect the way he's running the company in this particular fashion and taking nothing away from a first class exploration team he's got that took Cornerstone's discovery and really went nuts so with it in a good way to build the resource they've got already. As a manager and as uh, a manager of his stock price and shareholders, uh, inexplicably, Nick Mather has done some things that has a lot of us shake our head and roll our eyes. And why he would, at this particular point, choose to antagonize Newcrest is something that a lot of us still don't understand, but he gave his own stated reasons for it. He's done a lot of webinars recently you can listen in on. But anyway, I say all that because... That brings me to your question on Cornerstone. Cornerstone, for anybody, whether it's BHP or Newcrest or whoever, to get around a 21 or 22 percent additional interest in Cascabel by virtue of Cornerstone's direct and indirect share, the indirect part being how much of uh, Saul Gold stock Cornerstone itself owns, the easiest and most seamless way would be for somebody to come in and buy Cornerstone or Cornerstone's interest in Cascabel. So that's something that's been rumored, uh, you know, thought of for a long time. Uh, and we may see some fireworks start uh, after uh, BHP standstill ends. The other thing Cornerstone is trying to do is to, because they are a significant shareholder of Saul Gold, is to actually under London Stock Exchange rules apparently uh, call for a whole redo of Saul Gold's board, which I don't, I can't speculate as to where that's going to go. And before you go, I would like you to touch on a recommendation that you had given to your subs uh, regarding the ETF FAZ, and this stood out to me because back in 2015 I would uh, play FAZ a lot. I remember I was up 100% at one point, but I think I made I don't know 35% just toying around with FAZ in 2015. Uh, what is FAZ for those that don't know and why are you and how are you recommending it for your subscribers? Well, FAZ, Fred Albert Zorro is a ticker symbol for one of the direction uh, leveraged ETFs, in this case, one that shorts banks and financial stocks. And the, the reason for this, in my view, is simple, even though as of today, it's a losing recommendation uh, that I've made recently, but one worth sticking with. Look, as we've already seen in Europe, where the commercial banking sector is a bunch of zombies that are kept alive by you know, machines or by the ECB, 
Uh, we're going down that same road here in the U.S. with the Federal Reserve having cut interest rates again to zero to 25 basis points on the federal funds rate with interest rates uh, compressed across the board. If you're a bank, you, you know, it, it's you're not exactly in fat city right now. Uh, banks make money and financials make money by yield spreads, by Main Street economic activity, by robust demand for loans and so forth. And with the one exception recently of a reinvigorated mortgage market, where even there, there's not as much meat on the bone as there once was, everything else is kind of dead in the water. So there's a reason why financial stocks have been chronic underperformers actually for quite a while, even before we got into 2020 and all the problems we've got here. And given that the broad stock market has already rallied a lot more arguably than it should have, but thanks to all that Fed money printing, the only real direction I see is for is for things to go back down and to revert to the mean. When they do, you'll see interest rates compress even more, and that's going to cause people to sell the financials. So I think that you know, you can you can pick and choose among sectors of the stock market that you think have got the most bearish fundamentals. The fundamentals don't always matter, as we see with the nosebleed level of some tech stocks. But I think one of the better fundamental cases of a sector to short is with financial stocks, because you, you've pretty much been guaranteed by the Fed that there is not going to be the macro environment for financials to to do well because the Fed is constrained by other reasons to keep interest rates down to zero. And these are the type of recommendations you get from Chris. As you heard, he's well-versed in so many things, resource investing, macroeconomics, and his, his letter provides you with a lot of potential investment options, both for trading in the short term as well as long-term holds like Cornerstone Capital, like we spoke about. To learn more, go to nationalinvestor.com, and you can also reach out to Chris through that website as well. As always, Chris, thanks for coming on the show and sharing your insights. Hey, my pleasure, Bill. Take care. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly.
The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.